Welcome to the Football by Football Podcast. And welcome back to the Football by Football Podcast. This is Matt Chatham, your host. This is week two of In the Game. We're ready to roll here again with my partners, Brady Quinn and Brady Papinga. Both you guys had busy weekends. We got through college. We got through NFL. We got a ton of stuff to cover. So we're going to dive right in. Now, there are a lot of stories going on around the NFL. It's it's really been a crazy week. Uh, we only do a you know, a 45 minute ish show here each and every week, but uh, we could, we could probably fit four hours of information just upon all the different crazy stuff that happened last weekend in week one on a little bit surprising wins and victories and stuff like that. We'll get into games a little later, but more storyline stuff, Uh, you know, Russell Wilson getting banged up with the ankle uh, RG three going down for good. Uh, Keenan Allen, which was such a great camp story as explosive as it was a year ago. He gets back, uh, into the end of things looked exceptional in camp, almost unguardable at times. He was the hot thing, gets injured on week one. Zach Ertz goes down. Mario Williams is in concussion protocol. Sammy Watkins has a foot thing again, which is, is going to affect the Bills' chances most likely. Chris Ivory has some weirdo, I don't know, Zika or something. He's he's in a hospital. We don't know why. Brian Cushing's down again. Uh, Julius, Julio Jones, I mean, the point is there, there's so much uh, going on that could impact so much of what's going to happen here in the next several weeks is pretty tough to keep it all straight. But because we got you guys on the show and we're going to sort of do a player first kind of thing, I really want to just focus on quarterbacks initially, especially with you on the line here, Brady Quinn. Quarterbacks had a crazy week. There was a, you know, there's the big stuff. There's so many stories. I think you could put some of these quarterback stories right at the top of the list. We'll start with the Jimmy Garoppolo thing. Uh, It's one of maybe four or five we're going to touch on here, but Hopefully you got a chance to see that game uh, with the, the surprising winner over over Arizona. What was sort of your initial impressions with, first of all, with Jimmy? And, and secondly, is the trade bait? <laughs> Not now, but is he just simply increasing his value for some a move down the line? Yeah, I mean, I, I think after watching that game, you'd have to say that he's going to be a, a hot ticket item on the market uh, for any team who's looking for a quarterback and looking for a guy who seems to be a good decision maker. He's mobile enough with his feet to be able to threaten you, uh, either moving in the pocket or at least scrambling outside the pocket. Uh, and then really, he was he was pretty poised for his first start. I know he's been there. This is going on his third year now, and that plays right. plays into part of it as we start talking talk about these quarterbacks and what they were kind of facing. But you're talking about one of the supposed best teams in the NFC on the road to open up the season, and he was absolutely on point. And you look at how he converted in particular on third down to keep drives going. That was what was so, I think, impressive to me. In such a critical situation, he really stepped up his game, played well, made the right decisions. And then he really sees, you know, the one opportunity he had. Um, Chris Hogan matched up on Williams one-on-one on the outside. Hogan blows right by, and there's no safety help, and there lies your touchdown. You know, he easily could have missed the throw. He might have not even see it, uh, but he was able to capitalize on it. And that was obviously enough in the end uh, to help the Patriots get a win. So they've got to feel really good about where he's at and then looking forward the next three weeks, especially considering they're playing at home. Uh, but, but whether they use him as leverage for a trade in the future or even if they want to hang on to him, they like him so much and they keep him around. Uh, he seems to be a guy who's going to be very successful in this league. 
Yeah, it's it's an interesting point, and and I I certainly don't want to hot take him out of town. I love Jimmy; he's a really nice kid. We actually live in the same building here, while we're building a house somewhere else. And uh, he's just as unassuming as you could possibly imagine. He's he's handled this very difficult situation quite well. Uh, I, I you hit on the point that I think is is probably most important with his development, uh, Brady, and that you know he's gotten time. Uh, you know he's really acclimated himself over these last couple of years, and he doesn't feel like a first timer, even though I know it's the first time that a lot of people nationally are getting to see him. But uh, to you, Brady Quinn, I'm just, or excuse me, Brady Papinga, I'm just curious from from the standpoint of you know knowing you have two quarterbacks this is something that you as a former packer might have a little extra insight into knowing that they went through that thing with with Favre and Aaron Rodgers now i think tom brady this is my own personal opinion but i think he's still 5 years away at least i mean it could be 3 if some injury happens but it certainly doesn't seem to be something that's near at least in the in the interim while 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 jimmy garoppolo's contract gets close to expiration so how would you handle this situation and does the Packer thing have any relevance here uh well here's the deal I think logically if you're operating on sound principles and if Jimmy continues to play well uh if you were from the Packers perspective they would say we got our guy of the future now we're gonna be able to save money we can get get rid of a guy that's older that you know based not based off of history just based off of statistics as you get older as the Cowboys learned with Tony Roma the likelihood that guys get injured and you know, having to do that kind of stuff, so they would start the unwinding process. And I think even Bill Belichick, if it was any other player other than Tom Brady, would begin to see that it's time to move on. But I'll say this, I, and you know better about this than I do, but my gut feeling has been this whole time that even though the sound principle is and the right thing to do would be to move on from Brady, if, in fact, Garoppolo continued to play at this level, continued on this trajectory, he's not going to do it because he understands – the value of Brady and his career, of his legacy, and I do believe that he's going to make that one exception. I also do believe that he's he's done this before with Teddy Bruschi. Because, come on, I mean, you know Teddy Bruschi as good as anybody. In his last two, three years, Teddy Bruschi struggled to move in space. But yet Bill Belichick kept him on the roster, kept him around, liked him. You know, when he retired, Bill Belichick went as far as saying Teddy Bruschi's the perfect player. I imagine he's going to do the same thing with Tom Brady. He's going to keep him there as long as Tom wants to be there just for the sake of that he has a special player that's made his legacy or at least had a huge or made a huge contribution to it. And so this will be the one exception where I do believe they'll just they'll trade off Jimmy Garoppolo, knowing very well that they would like Tom Brady to retire as a Patriot, but even though it's not the most sound in terms of how you operate with personnel. Yeah, it's it's an it's an unusual situation that they're in because I think a little different than the Farf situation. I don't remember it exactly. You might you might better than me, but Brady's never played better he's playing right now. So it's really tough. I mean, and I, and again, I, I love to get involved in the Jimmy stuff. I like to see a, a nice young kid have success and, uh, you know, continue to improve in a very, very difficult situation. Uh, but Bra- when Brady came in, especially in the Carolina game, Carolina was our third preseason game, the one that's the a little bit more regular season feeling, at least as close as a preseason game can get. Jimmy had been nice. He had he'd done some nice things. It was solid. It was consistent. Uh, and Tom came in and it was night and day. And, and that's not a knock on Jimmy whatsoever. It was just the sliding in the pocket, the delivery of uh, of receivers no longer breaking stride, even the slightest, like, it, you know, putting it in the bucket outside to Chris Hogan on a perfect ball, one of the best balls I saw in camp anywhere this year and watch, watching a bunch of games. It's just he's still there. So it's it's just really hard. I mean, if you didn't have his driver's license or his passport, new as new as age, you just wouldn't know. And that's why it makes it such a such a tough call. 
you know, Brewski's my buddy. I, but I, I do will get say where this, though, Matt. Hey, Matt. Go ahead. What's up? Hey, yeah. Matt, I will say this. with you know, When you compare it to Favre, Favre also, when you're back in 07, he was playing some of the best ball of his career. He got us to the point to where an interception away in overtime to go into the Super Bowl. You know, and, yeah. and Ted, he has this philosophy, and he saw he did it this year. I don't know if you guys followed Josh Sitton, but he did with Josh Sitton. Josh Sitton's playing at an all-pro level as a guard, and in this last cut, he cut him because he needed the money to be able to sign the left tackle David Bakhtiari to his uh, to a long-term deal. So, it uh, usually when these guys move on from him, it's not when their play starts to decline. It's a year or two before. But like I said, with Tom Brady and the relationship that he has with Bill, Be- Bill Belichick, I think Bill's going to make that one exception this time. Not with everybody else, but this time he will. And I, I do believe he's going to try to keep Jimmy around as much as he can. But Jimmy knows his value, and especially yeah. in a quarterback-starved league like the NFL, and he's probably going to end up leaving. Well, it's, I'll send this back to you, Brady Quinn, because I know you touched on this last week. And I, the first thing I thought of when when Jimmy is playing as – a lot of us here locally believed he would is I went right to Brock Osweiler, you know, and I, and you touched on him in a little last week and was the surprise of him leaving Uh, because Jimmy's in a little different situation here. uh, You know, Brock was, could Brock hang and stay in the place where he'd have the gig in this situation? It's Jimmy. I think this is his third year of a four-year contract as a second round pick. You could potentially, I guess, franchise him if you just wanted to hold him, hold him for a year or whatever, and just take a monster QB, you know, cap hit amongst the two, just to keep him here for two or three or whatever it is uh, that you decide you could afford it. But at what point does it get like, you know, kind of the Osweiler situation, say if Jimmy has four good games and you're the general manager of, I don't know, Cleveland or or something, you know, because with RG3 down now and, and looking like they're going back to the wash. They didn't take Wentz. They didn't take Goff. They're back in the shopping cart, I guess. Do, is four games enough uh, with a third-year player for you to say you're our guy and give you another Osweiler deal? Well, we always just have to keep in mind it only has to take one team, right? So right. when we're talking about, you know, what offers could be out there and what potentially Jimmy – Garoppolo could mean for another franchise. I mean, I think we've seen Kevin Kolb do it in three games, technically. And, you know, and, and Arizona brought yeah. him in, and they paid him a decent amount of money. Brock Osweiler did it, you know, really over, what, uh, seven starts, I believe. And and I think when you're looking at, um, you know, Jimmy Garoppolo and, and what he's being asked to do in that system and all that, I, I think he seems more prepared to me just from watching one start than anything I saw from Brock Osweiler. And, and I, I don't know if it's just – maybe the manner in which Josh McDaniels has kind of, kind of helped to prepare him or being behind Tom Brady. But, you know, I would feel more confident betting on Jimmy Garoppolo moving forward than I would on Brock Osweiler. And obviously you saw how Brock Osweiler was able to cash in. And then you even have an organization go draft two wide receivers in the first three rounds and bring in a free agent right. running back to help kind of build out around him. Uh, and, and that's, that's, you know, it sounds kind of cliche, but to be honest with you, he just passed the eye test. And I, I think, to be, right. I keep going back to that third down stat because it is so impressive when you look at a young man who, not saying that the, the New England Patriots didn't run the football, but, you know, you go back to Brock Osweiler uh, in his playing time last year with the Broncos. When they couldn't run the football, he wasn't worth a whole heck of a lot. And, and that's why I'll, I'll be curious to see how the rest of the season goes for him because, you know, they ran the football effectively in the first half of Osweiler's first start this year. And he kind of started off slow. He picked it up in the second half. Uh, but that was kind of after Lamar Miller had already rushed over 100 yards, and that kind of made things a little bit easier on him. So, uh, you know, I I think, you know, it only takes one team. I mean, that's the bottom line to kind of create the market for Jimmy Garoppolo and what he's worth and 
how he'd go about handling all of that. Yeah, it's it's just it's as compelling a story as I remember. It's not just because of the Patriot thing. For me, it's just any. It's hard to think of another situation really back until the Favre Rogers thing. And I'm not again. That's that's calling Jimmy a future Rogers, which I get is way way out and over our skis here. But just the idea where the in-house guy looks like he could be somehow else a starter. And how do you balance that in your head if you're a young kid? He was a second-round pick from Eastern Illinois, so he's got a little coin in his pocket. He's not, you know, he's not like a fifth or sixth-round pick that, you know, modest bonus that's already spent and he's, and he's making minimums. He has a little bit of money in his pocket. I, I just wonder, you know, from like the point of view of a, of, a, of a quarterback, would you be willing to sit for – two more years take like this three-year mark sanchez kind of deal where you make five mil a year as opposed to the 12 and 13 and 14 i just i don't it takes i would take a different kind of personality to, to really trust the organization that says hey yeah, play for this for three years and you're our guy it's just it's a league where and again that's that's far-fetched he probably knows as you say that hey i saw brock get it uh i'll probably get it too so that's a tough call, but uh, we're going to transition here now into sort of the injury talk a little bit. And then that usually kind of moves us towards RG3. Unfortunately, uh, I had bought in a little bit. I mean, I didn't think this was like a massive reclamation project where he was going to be, you know, like player of the year kind of thing is you know, at least as a rookie that he was. Uh, but I, I thought there were some positive signs. I, I was, I kind of bought into your, your uh, logic last year, Brady Papinga of, some of the more dangerous times for some of these guys that have running ability is actually in the pocket. I felt sometimes they're safer if they run and just make sure they get themselves down because they're more adept out there, more dangerous can help offenses that way. But, uh, and in the particular instance where RG three gets injured, he was actually trying to get out of bounds, but now he's got this, I don't know if you call it shoulder back upper whatever bone that's broken. And it looks like he's down for quite a bit. If you're uh, one of these other running quarterback teams and we both made the case you and I that hey you know Cam Newton is going to change things you know I, I really teams out here have one of these guys Marcus Mariota you should make use of them right use them to their greatest ability yeah does RG3 coming back and going this route freak people out and make them maybe not want to do that of course I don't think he's learned his lesson I think he's still recklessly running and I, and I saw that play I, I do believe instead the play wasn't to go out of bounds the play is just to get down Live for another day. And to me, my, I was excited like you were, Matt, but I always had the it, what if or the contingency of if he's not willing to change his game in the open field to get down, then it's all gone. You know, anything that was positive, any potential there is just it's out the window. And lo and behold, what if you do, he gets hurt. And to me, it's like that was a one emphasis they did all off season with the guy. I mean, they had him throwing the ball out of bounds and to make, you know, a big deal about it. He throws it in the parking lot, you know. I mean, he sort of was a punk about it, to be honest with you. And uh, and it just the icing on the cake was the fact that he he didn't heed the very things that they emphasized all season. Which if I'm an executive, I'm looking at this going, dude, this guy does not even want to learn. He's in his own world. He thinks that we're all just going to bow to him and we're going to do whatever he wants. We're going to come and pay him, and you know, hopefully he comes in and competes. I, I couldn't handle that. And as a backup, are you kidding me? You want that kind of baggage on your team? I honestly believe, and I tweeted it out there. It's publicly uh, has been already. Uh, written out there is that I, I believe he's played his last down in the NFL. I don't believe he's going to come back with the Browns and I don't think anybody else is going to pick him up because they've seen that this guy is not coachable and he's not willing to adapt his game in order to be successful in order to use the very thing that made him so great as rookie year, which are his legs. And we know that it works. I mean, Russell Wilson is not a big guy and I know he's banged up with his ankle now, but I mean, he's, if he does miss this next game, it'll be the first game he's ever missed in his whole career. And so it's possible to run and run effectively without getting your body blasted 
like so many people think, are the two things that have to go together with a running quarterback. And unfortunately for RG3, he hasn't been willing, I think, enough and committed enough to take his game and adapt it to where he can protect himself all the while using those very attributes that make him a dangerous quarterback, which is being a multi-threat guy. So I'm curious with you, Brady Quinn. I mean, you obviously know that organization well and, and a lot of the strains and struggles they've gone through. How how do they now transition here? It's a tough spot. They they feel pretty pretty resolute in their evaluation of Wentz that he wasn't the right call to take there. That's why they traded out of the spot. They even it took sort of the oddball tact, I thought, this week. I thought it was odd anyway to talk openly about why they didn't take Wentz as they were facing Wentz, which I thought was a little different, but, you know, add a little sort of subtext to that game, but they passed in this particular year on two, uh, two viable candidates, obviously in Goff and Wentz, depending on your point of view, Paxton Lynch sits at the, you know, closer to the back and goes as well. So there's, you know, three first round quarterbacks there that they, they chose internally through their evaluations and the, the analytics focus, if that was a part of it, that that wasn't going to be their guy. Now RG three hurt again. I don't know if he's necessarily never going to play in the league again as Brady, but I think it, 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 presuming him to be your starter in any organization, it would be a, a, a really risk-laden, probably silly call at this point. So I'm assuming that means he's not the guy. So does that mean that, that, that the Browns are a player in this sort of Jimmy Garoppolo idea, or are the Browns back into the draft, presumably in a top five or top ten pick, uh, looking for their guy once again? I think every Cleveland Browns fan right now is already looking towards the 2017 draft. And they're probably looking at, you know, Deshaun Watson out of Clemson or really Deshaun Kaiser out of Notre Dame, both of which, by the way, <clears throat> they, would need to, they would actually need to, uh, you know, they'd be leaving school with a year of eligibility left. So they'd have to declare, right. uh, which yeah. I think they should, by the way, but that's a whole other conversation. Yeah, but it was interesting just, you know, talking about, how they went about preparing for that game and choosing to talk about why they didn't take Carson Wentz. I don't think I've ever seen a front office ever give bulletin board material for an upcoming game <laughs> to an opponent, which, was, which right. was kind of interesting. But, you know, when it comes down to it, I actually think the Browns have the, the, a better opportunity of winning now with Josh McCown than they did before with RG3. Yeah. Um, McCown last year, look, they were 1-7 when he was starting, but he put up 12 touchdowns of four interceptions. 2,100 yards, 60-some you know, percent of completion percentage. He actually did okay, considering how bad that team was. So I actually kind of have a greater hope for the Browns with McCown. Now, if he gets hurt, you're talking about basically a team that you know, drafted Cody Kessler, who in my opinion might have been the most overrated you know, in the draft as far as the quarterbacks and, and the, those that were drafted, mostly right. because if you watched the, the film, he, it was a bunch of short passes high completion percentage, yards after the catch to, you know, superior athletes at USC. That was in large part why I think he had some success. I, I don't think he's going to be overly, you know, do anything for this Browns team a, a, anyway. So right now, I mean, this is a team that I think is looking towards the draft. I don't think they're going to try to go the veteran route again and look for someone like Garoppolo. I could be wrong. You know, maybe they go ahead and make an offer and bring in a, a guy like that, and they've drafted a guy as well. Uh, at this point, you, you got to think that, you know, they've tried bringing in a guy each year, right, or drafting a guy each year. Maybe they'll just bring in right. two from now on and see if they can go that route and have a better <laughs> chance of hitting on one. Well, so I'll stay with you, Brady Quinn, because we, we, we touched on it, so we should at least mention the game that the guy had. Uh, I know it sounds like, you know, we're early in the show and we're shitting on the rounds quite a bit, but uh, my, my personal view, I actually had to I had to go back and watch a couple of their precinct games because I had to get caught up on Mingo, Barkevius Mingo. 
Um, and you know, I heard a lot of the the grumblings from Cleveland fans that that follow me on Twitter, and we getting some back and forth and talking about more more curiosity than anything. Like, okay, I've heard the stories that the guy can't play. Uh, I watched two preseason games, and I thought he was pretty salty as an off the ball player. I just thought he was a little bit miscast because he was so thin as an edge guy. Uh, but all that said, I'm watching the Browns, and I was relatively impressed with some of the defensive talent they had over there. I know it doesn't show well in, in the game against the Eagles, but they seem to have a lot of good young youth. The Nasib kid, uh, some of their off-the-ball linebackers, I'm blanking on his name, a super quick kid, the Coleman guy. I just thought that, like, you know what, it seems like they – there's got a lot of talent in the room uh, and, you know, maybe McCown is the guy that might pull him to a victory or two, but that said, everyone has sort of been using this caveat through the week of, you know, Carson Wentz played great, but he did it against the Browns. So do you sort of take that same sort of asterisk to it? I mean, even though it's your former team and not, not trying to shit on him, I'm just saying, or do you feel like you still need another week or two or three to learn about Carson or you're like, Oh, okay. This guy's good. Uh, he'll he'll be fine. He's they're fine to have put him out in in sort of live bullets already. Well, my breakdown of Carson was this: you know they scripted their first drive, and he was very efficient, very effective on the first drive, four or five. I want to say like sixty yards, and and then had the nice touchdown pass to cap off the drive. After that, he yep. really struggled the rest of the first half, uh, in particular on third down too. And they really got into kind of a run run pass mode. They mixed in some passes on first and second down. Besides that, but for the most part. You know, they showed balance. They, they definitely tried to protect him and make things easy on him. Didn't ask him to do a whole lot. You know, got the ball out of his hand quick and all of that. And, and he was accurate and pretty good decision maker. But, you know, just watching that game, you know, he, he didn't hit a whole lot of throws versus too much contested coverage, probably besides the touchdown passes. And, you know, other than that, I, I, thought, I just kind of thought he did okay. Um, and, and I think when you're talking about the Browns and the defense that he faced, I'm not trying to knock the Browns. I mean, look, everyone knows they're in a rebuilding mode with all the draft picks they kept on the right. roster and all that. And, and, and they got some young talent, but look, this is probably the worst defense in the league. I mean, well, let's just be honest. You know, they can't, they couldn't even in the, in the preseason stop anyone running the football. They, they right. couldn't stop Philly running the football. And, and I don't think they're going to stop anyone all year long. And even Joe Hayden, a guy who's, you know, formerly a Pro Bowl player, and he's just completely dropped off. I know Brady Papinga's played with Tremont Williams. He got torched on the first touchdown. I think he might have been him mm-hmm. as well, uh, who was on Nelson Aguilar. I'm shocked because when he first got to Cleveland, I was saying to myself, Tremont and Joe Aiden, that's two pretty good cornerbacks in, in this league. And I don't know what's happened to him. So they, they really are struggling on defense. Um, I, I know some people are looking in the future saying, okay, these guys can develop into something. But Ray Horton's got to do something to help give these guys some confidence because it's going to be a rough year up in Cleveland. So Brady Papinga, just as a matter of fairness, we're going to touch on Wentz on the other side. We got to go L.A. Your style, and you're right in the backyard yeah. there with this with this golf story, buddy. And uh, you know they they put up a stinker. Jeff Fisher uh, is is yeah, <laughs> it didn't go well, especially for a guy who was getting talks of extensions in training camp before they'd even played a game so what's your sort of what's the word on the ground what's the feel in LA I mean are are people saying let's get golf in there might as well you know Case Keenum's not gonna not gonna win us any games uh, you know in a a week where they had a shutout which is is odd one of the funny tweets that was was sort of flying around the tweet or sphere was uh this this idea that the uh, the Rams still hadn't scored a touchdown since 1994 (laughs) something along that lines I was like yes 
pretty keen. But anyway, so uh, where do you stand on that? What do you feel about all that there? Was the, the sit and golf a decision become more difficult with Wentz having the success he had? Are they doing the right thing by sitting the guy, or is there going to be pressure now that uh, the offense looks pretty uh, pretty mild? I mean, I don't think there's anything to lose. I mean, because the, the risk you run by playing the young guys we all know is you put him out there and he gets beat the heck. And all of a sudden, his confidence goes down. He's looking over his shoulder. He's looking at the rush more. He's looking downfield. Someone like the David Carr kind of stuff that he dealt with with Houston Texans. But this offense is built differently, man. Right. If, you, if you put Goff out there, you just run the ball with Todd Gurley like crazy. And all you need from your quarterback is to keep the defense honest. You know, that's what they're hoping to get from Case Keenum. But I'm not going to go and just say it's all on the quarterbacks, guys. You know, Derek Fisher and his staff have had difficulties other than Steve McNair and his history of developing quarterbacks. Vince Young didn't really work out. You know, they had uh, the old uh, long-tooth guy at Penn State. What was his name again? With a wacky throwing motion that he played with uh, the Tennessee Titans. Uh, I forget his name. But anyway, mm-hmm. bottom line is this guy is not known to develop quarterbacks. He brings in a guy who's the same thing, doesn't develop quarterbacks. And the worst thing of it all is if you look at Casey Keenum in college, Jared Goff, those guys come from spread offenses. Why in the world aren't you putting in spread principles and at least putting them in situations to where they can feel comfortable that's adaptable to what they did well they put him in position to get drafted and ultimately become NFL caliber players. So a lot of the, the fault lies on the coaching staff, especially those that are in charge of developing and ultimately creating schemes for these quarterbacks. They're not doing a very good job. But if it was me, yeah. I mean, Jared Goff should have been the guy, and they should have just tailored the offense around what he's comfortable with in terms of the pass protections, the pass offense, and then have the running just be what it was with you know, Todd Gurley. Because like I said, all you need from him is to keep a defense honest attack and, and burn a defense vertically and make it to where those nine-man fronts and eight-man boxes start to now spread out to where you can then have some run to, uh, some room to run. So uh, it seems like it should be the national thing. I mean, it couldn't get any worse. So, I, I mean, I'm for it. I think they should play him. Yeah, Terry Brady, Collins, Brady. by the way. That's the quarterback. Terry Collins. Terry Collins. Boom. Good go. job. Go. Yes. <laughs> Boom. Yeah, I, Brady Quinn's been hitting on this since we, we, we since we started FBF, and it's something that I, I I've I, I've listened to him make the comments, and I've started to look around at situations I thought would be similar to this, and I I think I buy what he's selling. Just this notion of of development and and sort of the edginess that that organizations seem to have now, and the not not sort of ability to develop people or not to stick with it. And I wonder if if part of this is. And again, we're we're entering a new era here, but just this notion of social media and, and, and public pressure and, you know, the fact that you've got 50 people across the country thrown up on websites, you know, breakdowns, air quotes, breakdowns of, of plays and things like that and grading the guy and da, 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 just like how oppressive that could be if you're a rookie quarterback. Like, Brady, you remember the very first time you saw live snaps. Uh, I mean, w- how you felt that day relative to what you felt three or four years later is night and day. And I'm wondering just th- just that idea of sticking golf out there and say they suck. Maybe say he's on a bad team. They just got annihilated by San Francisco. So it's just not all quarterback play. But in this world, in this day and age now, he goes out there, they're going to be plastering his completion percentage. He goes 12 for 26, you know, seven games of that, and he's garbage, right? Throw him away. Let's go draft someone else. Like, I just feel like that's the world now. And I'm wondering if it's possible to slow play a quarterback that you play right away. Uh, is, is that even doable? Is that realistic today? I think it's it's not really realistic anymore because – these coaches feel for their job security. 
And, right. you know, you, you can almost use that building excuse, for example, if Jeff Fisher plays golf and he is bad, you just kind of chalk it up to, well, you know, we, we played a rookie quarterback. The only problem with that is uh, you go back to Lovey Smith and Ken Wisenhunt last year, and it didn't work out for either of them. But it did Right. Like the Titans, that, so, wasn't that supposed to be exactly Wisenhunt's blanket? <laughs> wasn't that supposed to be Wisenhunt's I mean, yeah, blanket in Tennessee? <laughs> You would have thought so, and yet you're looking at both those guys too. And now people are talking about Jameis Winston being, you know, this guy's the next tier of of top tier quarterback. You know, the next generation of that. I think Marcus Mariota still has some work to do. You know, a lot of people were looking at Jameis Winston saying, "Ah, I don't know. You know, Mariota's the guy who he's got to adjust to a system, but he's got all the tools and all this stuff. Jameis Winston's the guy that's 22 years old, by the way, and he's really turned the corner. But you know, I I think the hard thing is it's, it's two things. Nowadays, with the way that the rookie salary pool is, with the way that it's slotted in the draft, you almost yeah. want to see what these guys are capable of before you have to sign that next big deal. You know, right. before, you know, you kind of want to be patient and not ruin them because you already paid them so much in the first place. I mean, you can <laughs> kind of make the case that you could put them in right away, but you can make the case that if you ruin them, well, guess what? You know, now you just wasted a bunch of money. So they were much more careful about developing guys Russell, then. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I mean, well, and, and, and there's other people you can kind of throw in that mix. But, you know, at, at, but it's changed now because it is so much cheaper for, for drafting a first-round quarterback than it used to be. Um, but the other element, you know, I always say this too, and I've talked about it for a while, is they, they get rid of the third quarterback designation. And you talk right. to quarterback coaches, you talk to, you know, offensive coordinators, they're so concerned with the week-to-week game plan and all that that there's no one really there to help develop that young guy in the room, whether he's a starter or a backup, whatever it may be. The third quarterback used to be that. He used to be this older veteran guy. Josh McCown was that in Cleveland. That's why, you know, they're probably saying to themselves, thank God we didn't trade Josh McCown to the the Eagles or to, um, you know, the the Dallas Cowboys when they came knocking around or asking for guys because, you know, they need him right now. And you better believe that once he starts, he's going to still keep working with, Cody Kessler, but the second he gets injured, there's a good chance, you know, Cody Kessler now has to step up and, and, and is going to have to be the guy. And it's going to be in large part because of the, the tutoring that Josh McCown gave him. So, unfortunately, there's, there's been death to kind of the third quarterback on rosters because they right. no longer have the third quarterback designation, which allows them to, you know, carry that extra quarterback. Even though he's not active, they have to deactivate the first to put the third in. And uh, now, now they got rid of that. You just don't see it anymore. And it's unfortunate. Um, but, you know, the, the problem is, the NFL's still making money. They don't view any issue with, you know, the, their product right now. So they'll keep going on the way they are until they feel like it's it's really an area of concern. It's it's a you, it's an interesting point. We lost Brady Papinga. He had to bail here, guys. So we just needed to let the fans know it's it's uh, it's Brady and just I now. But uh, one of the things that I wanted to that you kind of touched on is is the third quarterback thing. And I, I'm just wondering in my head, I'm thinking back to the lax CBA negotiation. A lot of the, the, a lot of the pushback you got from the league was in relation to roster limits and in relation to sort of, tr- you know, a lot of players are trying to push to make it, Hey, the full 53 should be active. Right. And there's the, the, the other side of the table is sort of the competitive advantage that teams that just draft better, I guess, would be the argument that all 53, they shouldn't have them up. They want to keep it at that tight number. I'm always wondering though, why, why an organization wouldn't advocate? They have so much, so many millions of dollars invested in quarterbacks these days, and the, the the fortunes of franchises and coaches and even general managers seems to sort of follow with the development of that particular position. I would think that would be a bullet point as ownership that I wouldn't want to go after. You know what? Hey, that position's super important. 
let's fight for that third quarterback. If not even the 30 part third quarterback designation, almost like a veteran, you know, like you have to get the veteran contract where you don't count against the cap the same, almost like yeah. let them let, let's, let's juice the quarterback position. Let's make it so we can keep more. Let's make it so that uh, that guy that we really want to develop doesn't have to be the next guy in. Like, like I just felt like just business sense, not even football sense. The idea that you pigeonhole that is that incredibly important. Why strap yourself? Why, why create sort of a set of rules and regulations that makes it a little harder <laughs> to make it work out? So I, I don't know. I just that one always struck me as weird. They're usually out in front of those kind of things and. Um, now you're in a situation where well, if you're in Minnesota, you just launched a new stadium, right? It's place is, is pretty wild. Actually looks really nice. I'm excited to see them have a game there this weekend. Uh, but you know, the, the, your guy goes down and other than just sort of interest in the venue, it's really tough to think that people are going to get as excited about Sean Hill. And I'm going to transition to Bradford here in a second, but I would think that, Hey, wouldn't that have been a better situation for them? If they had Teddy Bridgewater, who's their guy, hopefully he's their guy for 10 years. You have the older blanket and the 15 year vet in Sean Hill, but you're allowed to have something else there that you can develop for year after year after year. So at some point you don't have to carry the 15 year guy. Uh, I just always thought that that would make more fiscal sense as much as just helping players or anything like that. I think that's always how it's taken. But so I brought that up particularly to get into Sam Bradford. I'm curious just to your insight as a former quarterback and especially one that played in a couple places. Um, what do you think sort of he's been doing? I mean, for people to look behind sort of the red curtain purple in this case, what has Sam Bradford been doing since he got in? Uh, and now they, you know, they, he got, I think he had like eight days of practice before the decision to, to not have him active or not have him start on week one. Now he gets another week under his belt. What's that process like of getting up to speed quickly? Not that you had to do it, you know, in that particular circumstances, but what's it like coming from something different, having to learn something new and possibly going out there to do it? It's kind of like going on vacation to a foreign country and having to kind of take a crash course in, in learning the new language uh, and then going out and basically living your normal life, but out in this, this new environment where you got to speak a different language. You're obviously going out there doing the same things you did before, but you have to communicate it in a different manner. Uh, and, and that's essentially what he's got on his plate right now. You know, the irony to all this conversation with me is, you know, in, in 2013, I actually was, was picked up by the Rams when he got injured. So I, I, yeah. I went in there and went through this exact same process halfway through that season. And, you know, what they do is they give you basically a shortened down playbook. And they're like, look, this is what you need to know. This is what we're going to utilize if you get in the game. And it's essentially, you know, let's say 60 plays that are their core fundamental, you know, foundational plays that they're going to use on first, second down, then third down. You'll have a little more pared down group in red zone, et cetera. And, and that was what I got. And that was what I was responsible for knowing. And I ensured that I watched film, talked to the coaches about the differences in their calls and communication. You had to watch a lot of film to get a feel for how the wide receivers run their route. And really those individual periods where, you know, normally you're just getting warmed up and you're kind of maybe working on something fundamental each day. Now you're really paying close attention to the wide receivers and how they're coming in and out of their cuts. You know, every rep, if you're not throwing it, you're watching it. So you've got to get a better feel because anticipation is such a big thing in the NFL that if you don't have a feel for the way these wide receivers coming out of their cuts or how they run their routes, you're going to be off. And, and it's a game of inches, so you cannot be off by, by that much, especially for a team like the Minnesota Vikings that's going to be competing. 
and probably still able good enough to make it to the playoffs. Uh, so you know that the defense is only going to get better the more they, or the longer they end up going into the playoffs. So that's what he's going through right now. I mean, it is a 24-7 process of him constantly just going over the playbook, trying to get down any terminology uh, that's new, and then trying to flush any old terminology from Philly that where there may be some carryover. And keep this in mind. You know, Pat Shermer was the OC for the St. Louis Rams when Sam Bradford was drafted. He also, uh, re, um, you know, was, was able to reestablish himself with the Philadelphia Eagles after he got dropped by the Browns, where Sam Bradford also was. And then he finds himself this year as a tight ends coach for the Minnesota Vikings. So, oddly enough, Pat Shermer has kind of been where Sam Bradford's been every step of the way, and they will uh, have similar terminology to what, you know, he's been accustomed to before. And the other thing to all this, too, that's kind of interesting is uh, Sean Hill was also another quarterback that came in when Sam Bradford got hurt, I want to say in 2014 maybe, uh, or excuse me, no, 2000 and a few years ago. So, so they've crossed right. paths as well as far as being on the same team, same team and all that. Interesting. So, oh, Lord, it's like the – as the world turns kind of thing. Yeah, no, it, it's pretty, it's pretty interesting how it's all worked out. And, and I actually had a chance to talk to Sean Hill today and he kind of told me, he goes, you know, usually it might be a little bit awkward. He's like, Sam and I know each other well from our time spent together before. So he's like, it's, yeah. it's not a, you know, it's not a difficult thing for me. Seven degrees of separation or whatever the hell that thing is. Yeah. So we've turned this sort of in an all quarterback show. I, I just wanted to, you know, and I'm, I'm fine with that. I think this is the biggest story in, in, in football across the NFL. It's just a really dynamic week where this many quarterback related storylines popped up. Uh, I, I'm, I'll simply be interested in watching that game this weekend uh, with the Packers, which is a tough matchup one way or the other, but the idea that, you know what, if you were Stan Bradford, and regardless of the what the system that was supposed to be your strength coming out of Oklahoma, the some of the systems that I think he had a little more success in at different spots, the 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 stretch that it was going to work with him and Chip Kelly, and he just it just didn't, right? Uh, there, there were some positives, but I just don't think it was like a, a slam dunk. But I'm thinking now if he's in sort of career re- revitalization, as that's a big word, but uh, mode, if he wants to he wants to put himself back on track. I feel like Minnesota is a pretty safe situation because it's sort of, you're not driving a race car, you know, you, you just have to sort of steer a tank, you know, it's, it, they're so run focused. They're so shot heavy uh, off of play action. Uh, Teddy Bridgewater wasn't lighting the world on fire. He'd be efficient. He'd throw for two twenty, uh, and uh, you know, sprinkle a touchdown in or two. And those were good performances for him a year ago. I don't think Bradford really is going to have the stress on him to, to, to carry things there. And that'd actually be good. You know, yeah, last week, uh, Peterson had a terrible game. I think it was something like 19 carries and 30-some yards. It was pretty modest output for him. Uh, but I think they get back to where they were a year ago, where he's the he's the bull. He gets a, the bulk of the carries. Stephon Diggs catches an, an, a deep dig or two or three off of play action. They have, a, a, a you know, an oddball play or two, and, and it's it's an overall modest output. But he can be efficient. He doesn't feel like he has to carry it, and maybe that's to his benefit. But... So last thing I want to do here before we, we, we sort of bail on this show, um, I wanted to sort of touch on a game that I thought was particularly interesting that might be a little different than North national storylines. I, I had some question marks a week ago 
about the Bengals and watched that game carefully with them and the Jets this week and was pretty impressed, uh, to be honest with you, because I think some of the things I brought up, you know, the absence of Sanu, the, the absence of Jones, Eifert down, all those things, uh, you know, who are they going to be? And I, I think they answered some of those questions, getting a pretty impressive win there on the road against a Jets team. One of the things I'm curious, they, they go and face uh, the Steelers this week, and two things kind of happened there that I thought were were pretty cool and newsworthy items for the NFL. Ben Roethlisberger, in the absence of Martavius Bryant and and some of the other injuries he has, you know, it doesn't have Le'Veon Bell. I am I am I'm really impressed with Ben, and I get into this sort of mental mental gymnastics with myself every time this comes up because. that and Ben's usually sort of knocking on the door I, what I saw last week with Ben made me think he's the, the three might not need to be three maybe it should be four you know in the absence of those two guys and his ability to make some plays and some of the best throws I've seen I just he's so close he's not Brady and just the, the, the technician and the smoothness and the just the mastery element, but sort of the impressiveness, I, I dig it. And I'm I'm excited to, to, to watch more of him, knowing that he's down a couple serious weapons and still being effective. And I like the matchup against the Bengals because all of a sudden, all those doubts I brought up, they answered them. And without a really dangerous running game, Jeremy Hill looks okay. Giovanni Bernard gets a touch or, a touch or two every now and again, but it's really not what they lead with. Amazingly enough, Dalton can kind of move the pile he they I, he was very impressive to me relative to getting sacked seven or eight times and still generating that many points so uh, that's really the standout game for me this week and uh, I'm I'm excited to watch it uh, is there something out there that that really grabs your attention this week that, that may be less than obvious Brady yeah I, I think uh, a lot of people you know were going into that Arizona New England game thinking okay you know Jimmy Garoppolo first start on the road no Rob Nikovich, no Gronk, no Nate Soldier, no Tom Brady. You know, they're probably looking at it thinking to themselves, this, this, this should be an easy win for the Arizona Cardinals, especially a team that, you know, they talk about their Super Bowl, Super Bowl aspirations. Other people are talking about those expectations. And, you know, to be honest with you, I kind of came away thinking to myself, they better look out this week because they got Tampa coming to town. <laughs> right. And, look, Tampa – Look, Tampa's going to on back-to-back road games. And you, know, you and I both know how tough that is when you have to go on the road twice yes. in a row. But the, the fact of the matter is, Jameis is playing some good football. You look at who got hurt in that game. Evan Mathis goes down. Earl Watford, his backup, goes down. Guess who they're going to have to face against? Gerald McCoy. He's one of the best defensive tackles in the game. And, and you know, <laughs> they've only gotten better on the defensive front. That is a game where I'm sitting there looking at saying, I wouldn't be, I wouldn't be shocked if Tampa went in there and surprised them and upset them. Um, now, Grant, that, that's that's still a much, a much bigger uphill battle we're talking about. But, I mean, right. I'm, I'm talking about an Arizona team that could be starting off 0-2, kind of already starting behind the eight ball. And you start talking about home field advantage and that sort of thing, especially in their division. Um, they're, yeah. they're already starting behind the eight ball on a team, the Seattle Seahawks, who you know, I, I believe is going to win again this week. So, you know, 0-2 to 2-0 to the Seattle Seahawks. All of a sudden, if Seattle can end up parlaying that, you know, based on their record and all that, they obviously have to play in division still. But I think a parlay that into home field advantage in the playoffs, that all of a sudden becomes huge as far as the Arizona Cardinals trying to make a run in the NFC. So that's, that's kind of one of the games I, I'm curious to see how it plays out and how well they're able, able to protect Carson Palmer. 
It, it, you know what? It, that, you you touched on an excellent point, and it's something that I I tr- well maybe it's maybe I say it's excellent because I agree with it, but it's it's something that that I've been talking about for a while. Where overreacting to a one week thing is in part because of you you think a team's going to be what they were the year before. And, and I'm I'm a, I'm a I'm a big Bruce Arians fan, unapologetic. I, I really love his style, really love he, what he does to the organization. But when I had to go back and make the video today for for sort of our we call it, I'm calling it no guts, no glory, but sort of the, dig into the guts, like really find out what made some of those biggest plays. I went back and looked at Arizona, and I knew sort of the storylines coming out of Arizona is that they'd had a really rough camp. They you know Arians had, had to chew them on some occasions, had talked about frustrations with some practices, had some ugly performances, really on both sides the ball they had injuries but they were ready to roll and everything was going to go on week one the first thing that jumped out of me when I went back and reviewed the Patriots game and it wasn't so much to take shine off what they did they, they did a great job they they overcame an, an enormous hurdle there of going down into a tough place with a lot of people cheering against them but I just thought Arizona looked ragged and I, I have a hard time getting the the thought of that just shellacking they took to Carolina in the NFC championship game with the six turnovers and just really ragged and then to have a camp like I thought they had and then to to yes to lose this game to the Patriots but in fashion where you go back and look at some of the big plays they gave up and it was just a lot of undisciplined stuff so I'm not I'm I'm kind of with you in that I'm not certain that's Arizona team is a Super Bowl champ and I'm not our Super Bowl contender and I'm not I'm not trying to say that just because of the game against the Patriots but just the yeah, the presumption that it's just going to be an upward arc from everything you see. I don't know if that's the case. So, yes, definitely a game to to stick our nose to and get deep in that one. But it's all we got for this week. Uh, what do you got this weekend, Brady, for football? I've actually got TCU versus Iowa State. So I don't imagine that one will be too competitive. I think TCU might beat them some in the lungs of 60 to 10, something like that. Yeah, I'm no, I'm I'm an Iowa guy. I'm from. I grew up in Iowa. More, way more of a Hawkeye fan than a, than a Cyclone. So I'm happy to shit on the Clones. No, I hope it's seventy to ten. There we go. <laughs> <laughs> All right, man. Have a great week. Awesome show. Thanks as always. Take care, buddy. I'll see you. Thanks so much for listening to the Football by Football podcast. As always, the FBF podcast can be found for streaming or download on FootballByFootball.com or BlogTalkRadio.com. You can download the FBF podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, and on the TuneIn Radio app. For daily insightful stuff from guys like Rock, myself, make sure you check out footballbyfootball.com. Check out our Facebook page and also give us a follow on Twitter at FBBYF. Thanks for listening to the Football by Football podcast. Football insight by football players. Night, Lucky. Night, Dusty. Good night, Ned. Good night, Ned. Good night, Ned.